The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's take our Bibles tonight and join with me in Luke chapter number 11, please. Luke chapter number 11, we're going to pick up in verse number 29, read down through verse number 36 tonight. And uh, we just recently moved into this chapter a couple of weeks ago. This chapter opens up and begins with Jesus uh, teaching his disciples how to pray. And, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them that model prayer, if you may, uh, that we've already studied here over the past couple of weeks. But then after all that is said and done, uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 14 that he came and he was casting out devils and he cast out one of, uh, from one that was dumb, that he could, was not able to speak and those types of things. And what a great miracle it is. And isn't it interesting to see that when God's doing great things and when uh, the Lord is moving and when people's lives are being transformed, it's the most religious of us that seem to get messed up about it. I mean, here, here Jesus is casting out demons, and uh, people start complaining, and they start accusing him of doing this in the power of Satan. What, the, what audacity to call out to Jesus and say that he was doing this in the uh, power of Satan himself. Of course, then we looked at last week, uh, one of the women that was in the crowd kind of got uh, shook up about things and seeing all the great things that were taking place and all of that. And uh, she cries out and says, blessed is the one who had nurtured and raised Jesus. And she thought somehow that his, his uh, ability and the things that he was accomplishing was somehow be, uh, related to his lineage and his background and such. And she missed the point of who he was, and she truly was praising his upbringing, praising his mother Mary and, and, uh, and the likes, and, and was missing out on who Jesus was and all that he had done and was doing. Of course, we pick up now in verse number 29, and, and uh, Jesus uh, of course, spoke unto her and said uh, that in verse number 28, but he said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. It's uh, more blessed are the ones who know him, have a relationship with him, that follow his word uh, than one that had, would maybe have what was, was considered a physical relationship. It was more about the spiritual relationship that was important. But now he's, he's finished with that. The crowds have rebuked him or, or, or accused him, I should say, rather. And now we come here to verse number 29. And verse number 29 says, And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. As, for as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation." The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the uh, utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. And they for they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. No man, when he hath lighted a candle... Putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye, therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, 
having, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of, the, of a candle doth give thee light. Our Father, we do thank you for this night, and we thank you for what you've already done tonight, uh, today, and through the services, through the, uh, through the events that have unfolded today. And Lord, I just ask now that tonight we would continue to praise you. We would thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, speak through me as I deliver your word tonight. Help us to hear from it. Help us to draw closer to you. Help us to see the importance of our relationship with you uh, and that our relationship is uh, no doubt more important than any religious aspects or, or traditions that we might be able to uh, follow suit in. And Lord, I ask that you would just be honored and magnified and glorified, up, uplifted here this evening, and that your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, as he's ministering to others, as he's preaching, as he's teaching, he's performing miracles, he was constantly and often falsely accused uh, by those who were unbelieving. We, we looked at it two weeks ago, and, and uh, Jesus heals this man and casts out this demon, and immediately a man who was unable to speak beforehand because of the demon begins to speak, and people are astonished at what is taking place, and they can't believe their eyes, uh, but they're unable to, within themselves, accept the fact that this is Jesus' work, a miracle that he's doing because he is God and underneath the authority and power of God. And so therefore, they, because they're not willing to accept him and proclaim him as God, uh, they say, well, he must have done this underneath the power of Beelzebub that he's casted out. He's been doing this underneath the power of the devil. And uh, Jesus had already presented himself as the light of the world, the, the light that they needed, but was constantly rejected by the people he was striving to minister to. I'd also say, put, insert this here tonight before we move on, that the fact that Jesus was preaching and teaching and he was reaching out to those who needed him most, and some had accepted him, but some were rejecting him, it reminds us that every person is individually responsible for their own response to Jesus. It was not about how their parents responded. It was not about how the crowd they were about, within responded. It's about how we respond individually. We have children in here tonight, and, and I want you to understand tonight, young people, that your relationship with Jesus is your relationship. It's not based upon your parents. It's not based upon your grandparents. It's not based upon the fact that you've just grown up in this thing, uh, and you're, you're kind of drug here to church when your parents make you come and such. It is not about that. Your relationship, you're responsible for it. Your parents are responsible for their, for their relationship, and you are responsible because we are all individually responsible for what we do with Jesus and how we respond to Him. As E. Stanley Jones put it this way, he said, if you don't make up in your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. Jesus said in John 8, 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. Jesus is speaking to this crowd here and the generation of people that were alive and able to witness Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. They, many of them rejected him. And because of that, in, our portion, in the portion of Scripture before us tonight, we find that they received a sharp rebuke for their unbelief in Jesus Christ. And we find a rebuke of Jesus here tonight. Well, a lot of times we don't, we don't want to think of Jesus and the rebuking portion of him. 
a lot of people in our world today like to highlight His grace, and I'm thankful for His grace. He is full of grace. He's a perfect and good God. They like to highlight His love. And my friends, we're reminded that He is love. In fact, John wrote in 1 John, God is love. You can't get any more descriptive than that. It is, he is love. But we also know that He is perfect in His justice. He's perfect in His judgment as well. And where Jesus here rebukes the crowd that is before him, he was right or righteous in doing so as well. And so as we discover this, the rebuke of Jesus tonight, I want you to notice first and foremost with me out of verse, verse number 29, that Jesus indicts the critical. He indicts the critical here in verse number 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. The crowd had gathered around Jesus, and with each passing moment, they are gathering in anger, and uh, they are accusing him, uh, falsely accusing him of performing these miracles and the power of Satan underneath the power of Beelzebub. And as, he, as this is all taking place, he awaits for the crowd, as it says, to become thick around him. They kind of have in, they've encompassed him. They're surrounding him. And when he indicts this critical crowd, we notice two things specifically, that in his indictment, he exposes their wickedness. We read here in verse number 29, he says, this is an evil generation. See, this generation that stood before Jesus, they needed the exposure to the truth that Jesus had given them. As we spoke about even this morning, Jesus declared these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And as we spoke about, the prophets proclaimed his coming. The prophets gave portions of the truth that God had revealed to them, but he came as the total encompassing, the encapsulation of truth, the absolute truth stood before them. And as, they, as truth stood before them, the truth that they needed, the truth that would ultimately make them free if they would just accept it. What, what did we find happen? This crowd, they rejected the evidence that he, performed, he gave to them. Through his preaching, it was evident that he was more than just some great rabbi. Through his teaching, it was evident that he was more than just someone that was pretty well educated. The miracles that he performed showed that he had authority and power over nature and, uh, and, and the world at large. It showed that he had power over the spirit world even as he cast out demons. But at every turn, many of this crowd would reject him and they would not accept the, 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 the evidence that they were, were given. And the rejection of truth the rejection of Jesus Christ proved just really how and truly evil their hearts really were. Can you imagine? Have Jesus stand before you, preach the word, teach it to perform miracles, and still reject him and say, no, he's doing this out of the power of Satan. The religious leaders of this generation, they had become blind they were blinded so much that they thought somehow that they could earn their own righteousness, that they could somehow um, be good enough to earn the favor of God without the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Messiah who had come to take away the sins of the world. See, the religious crowd was blinded. And isn't it so true that oftentimes religion blinds people to the truth? I am so saddened to see people out there that are worshiping a religion 
that is going absolutely nowhere. As we came back from Myanmar last, uh, uh, last winter, the end of the winter in January, and we shared some of the pictures and the things that were going on there, it's heartbreaking to consider that they are, there are masses of people that are giving up everything that they own, everything that they have, and giving it to a, an unreal God. It's all for naught. We got religions out there that would go about and, and uh, they would actually tell people that in order to find favor before their God, they have to inflict some type of punishment upon themselves. And there's literally parades of people that will take whips and whip themselves as they go down the street trying to find favor. Or maybe they'll climb up hundreds of staircase steps on their hands and knees until they're bloody, until they're bleeding just hoping to find some type of favor before their God. Even in, this, um, in our United States of America today, there are religions where people are going into some confessional booth, believing that if they just pray to the priest, that somehow he's going to intercede between them and God, and that's going to somehow going to bring them forgiveness, and they're going to find appeasement before their God, and all the while it's sending them straight to hell, my friends. There are people in this, there's religions in this world, in our America, there's, uh, they're right here in Sierra Vista. They have their own false Bible, if you may, their own, part, their own edition of it. They named it after their founder, somehow found out in the woods somewhere with some golden plates or something along those lines. But my friends, listen, the truths, supposed truths that are found in them are just simply sending and damning people to hell. And what it is, is Religion. It's religion. And I'm afraid that we have allowed religion to creep into our own Baptist churches as well. Where we have replaced a true relationship with Christ with some type of tradition, with some type of, uh, uh, of just, well, this is how we've always done church, and this is how things are always supposed to look, and we're supposed to do this way, and we're supposed to do that way. And we have made ourselves feel good because we mark off some boxes and we check some lists but we're not truly having a relationship with Jesus. I'm afraid, my friends, that, that uh, there are a lot of people that are truly saved, but they're not growing in the relationship with Jesus because they're substituting their growth with a list of do's and don'ts. Now, my friends, I believe that when we trust the Lord and we submit to Him and yield to Him, He's going to begin to do a work and He's going to start working some things out in our life and He's going to do a work with us that's going to make us be different and act different and live different than the world at large without Him. But my friends, if we try to do those things in our own power, we're missing everything. We're missing it all. It's supposed to be a work that He does in us. And we find that this, that's truly what was wrong with the religious crowd in, that, in Jesus' day. The priest, the, 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 the Levites, the, 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 everyone that was part of it and everyone that was going on and part of the religious sector and such, they had this whole list of rules. They had all these things going on. They even added to the commandments that were found in the Bible and found their ways around it and loopholes so that they could uh, be able to do things they wanted to do even when they weren't supposed to. And Man, they were just making it up as they went. And then they walked around acting as if they were somebody special, puffed out with their chest and looking down on everyone else. And, and somehow that everything that they did made them better than someone else. And listen, when Jesus spoke to them and when he rebukes them here, he reveals their true wicked heart. 
Because while they tried to look right on the outside, they weren't willing to accept him for who he was and accept him inwardly. And religion often blinds men to the truth. The lost, listen, lost people can believe in spirits. They can even believe in doctrines and still be lost. Here, here the, uh, the religious crowd of that day, they believed in a lot of things. They had their doctrines down pat, if you may, but they didn't know Jesus. In fact, Scripture tells us this in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Proverbs 14 and verse number 12 reminds us that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the fact that they rejected Jesus, they rejected him for who he truly was, he begins to indict their critical spirits, and in doing so, he exposes their wickedness. Notice also, as he indicts the critical crowd here, he also exposes their unbelief. Jesus said that their generation was wicked, because they continually sought for a sign. And the fact that they sought for the sign showed their lack of faith or their, uh, their, uh, their unwillingness to believe. It, it was evidence of their unbelief. They wanted a sign that Jesus was working actually in the power of God as opposed to the power of Satan. However, though, Jesus said to them clearly, your own children, your own sons, they cast out uh, demons in whose power did they do that in. They are the judges, therefore, he said. John W. Shepherd, he put it this way, he plainly told them that their generation was an evil one and needed the light, that such was the case was the evidence, was evidenced in the fact that these Jews were seeking even there and then a sign instead of accepting the evidence, the evident sign of his beneficent ministry in their midst. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 41 and Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 38. Whoso, there, the, whoso therefore, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Jesus is indicting a crowd that seemed to have it all together on the outside, but they had never accepted him as their personal Savior. And my friends, I'm talking to a crowd on a Sunday night. You went out of your way to come to church a second time in one day. I would have to, I would have to assume anyways, that as I look across this crowd, at least the majority of the folks here tr have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. More than likely, the only ones that, if any haven't, is maybe the youngest among us here this, this evening. But I am also afraid that we can all fall into the trap of the religious crowd of even Jesus' day. Yeah, we've got one thing right that they didn't. We've accepted Him. We trusted Him as Savior. But instead of growing in Him and growing in His grace, we are allowing what we see in others to dictate what we believe makes a good Christian. And because we see one that seems religious or seems grown in the Christian faith, then therefore if I just mimic them, if I just mirror them, then that makes me religious. That makes me spiritual as well. 
And my friends, if Jesus stood before us today and that was truly our mindset and our heartbeat, he would look at us and indict us as well. And he would point out and expose our truly wicked heart for not trusting him and not relying on him to do a work that he is supposed to do. He who hath begun a good work in you shall perform it. My friends, we notice first that Jesus indicts the critical. But then he goes on in the latter part of verse number 29 through verse number 32, number two, we notice that Jesus then informs the crowd before him. Jesus is now making the point that he has given them all of the works and all of the words necessary for them to believe on him as Lord and Savior. Look at the last part of verse number 29. He said that they've gathered together thick, that he began to say unto them, this is an evil generation. Notice this, they seek a sign. And there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet, verse number 30. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to his generation, this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. He informs this crowd with a final sign, if you may, as he says here in verse 29 and 30, and he reveals a final sign to the people to prove his identity as the Son of God. He begins with Jonah, and we know the story of Jonah. God came to Jonah, and he said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach unto that city there. There's a coming judgment for that city, and if they don't turn to me, I'm going to rain down judgment upon, uh, upon their city and upon their people. They're, I'm going to wipe them out. Well, Jonah didn't take too kindly to the Ninevites. They were pretty wicked people and uh, had re really done his, his own people, the Jewish people, wrong. And uh, so therefore, Jonah said, well, I don't want anything to do with them. I actually don't want them to, be, to get right. I want God's judgment to pour down on them. And, he, and, and also, he might have been probably a little scared of what they might do as he came into town preaching. And uh, what are they going to do, beat me, throw me in the jail? Uh, who knows what they might do? They might even kill me. And so instead of going to Nineveh, the Bible tells us that he went down and he, he paid the fare thereof to go to Tarsus. And, and uh, he got on the boat and he was trying to go to the opposite, total opposite side, the total other direction than where the Lord had commanded him to go. He gets out, out there on that boat and... And uh, he's with the, the mariners out there, and a great storm arises. Such, it was so bad that men who made their living out on the sea were scared for their life. That tells you something. That's a, that's a big storm. That's a terrible storm when men who weathered storms before in their, in their uh, occupation is scared for their own life. They're so scared that they start throwing things overboard. They start to empty all the cargo in hopes to help them that would maybe keep them afloat. When all that is all for naught, pretty much, they begin to question what is going on, how are we going to save ourselves, and Jonah says, listen, guys, it's me. <laughs> I'm the reason for this. I'm running from God. I'm a prophet of God, and I'm running from God, and he's bringing this judgment because of me. You need to throw me overboard. Guys, I, I mean, they, they've had some pretty good character because they didn't want to do it at first. But finally, they, they, they gave in. They threw Jonah overboard. And the Bible tells us that he, while he was in the water, a great fish, a whale, came and swallowed him up like Pinocchio, right? And uh, like, the, like the diver, the shrimp diver that I just read about in the news recently, man. What in the world? We got a modern-day Jonah 
Somebody needs to learn the lesson that Jonah uh, was supposed to have learned back then. So this type of stuff doesn't keep on happening today. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, I mean, he gets swallowed three days in the belly of this whale, spit out on dry ground after he gets his heart right with the Lord. And, and I mean, he hit the ground, hits the ground running. He goes to Nineveh and he's preaching to Nineveh about the fact that the Lord's going to bring judgment and and uh, they need to turn. And of course, they accept him. And everyone in the city, what a, probably the greatest revival in the history of this earth takes place in Nineveh from a backslidden preacher bring it, delivering the message. Because it's not about the person, it's about the one that brought the person. It's about the one who empowers the person. And let us not get so, dog, so, so uh, 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 attitude in our hearts and in our minds that we are somebody. That, that somehow because I've been here, done that, I've been in this a while, that God needs me. Now, God was able to use a backslidden prophet to bring the greatest revival, and here you are, the, next, the best thing next to sliced bread, and he hasn't brought revival with, through you. Hello. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And about, it's about what he has done and what he will do. But with a backslidden prophet, he brings this revival. And even then, as the revival's breaking out, Jonah's like, oh my goodness, this is the worst day ever. He goes outside the city. And he sits there all out overlooking the city, and I can just see him. He's hoping that God somehow doesn't keep, he won't keep his word. He's hoping that God still pours down fire from heaven and wipes them out. But after the day, the, the day goes by and revival's broken out, people have turned to the Lord, nothing happens. And he's hanging his head, sorrowful over what has taken place because a bunch of people got saved. But what Jesus is saying here, he's reminding them of the prophecy of Jonah here. And their generation, this generation of people, would not receive any other sign except what he would liken to that of Jonah. 700 years before this time when Jesus is speaking. 700 years before that time, Jonah had been swallowed in the well while he was running from God. But God miraculously brought him back after three days in the belly of the whale. Notice what Jesus then compares that to. He compares that to the prophecy of a resurrection. Verse number 30. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. Elsewhere in Scripture, he would say that as, a, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But the sign that the people would receive corresponds to the sign of Jonah here, who was swallowed by that well and returned after three days. In fact, here's the, the verse that I just mentioned, Matthew 12, verses 38 through 40. Uh, Jesus said he would die and be resurrected after three days. He put it this way in verses 38 through 40 in Matthew 12. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was speaking to a generation that would not accept him outright as their Messiah. And they kept saying, Prove it, prove it, prove it. And that's why I believe that Jesus, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it's impossible to please Him. Because we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. 
And no doubt there is a, I'm thankful for the evidences of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the truth that we can go to and from history and through uh, archaeology and the likes that prove that all the things found in this word are actually true. I'm thankful for those truths. But we also must not neglect the fact that the things of God are things of faith. And here this, group, this, this generation before him would not accept him in faith. They said, prove it. Show us a sign. Prove it. Show us a sign. In World Magazine on December 4th of 2004, it had a, 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 uh, an article found in it. And it said this. It said, a Hindu seer also, uh, almost incited a riot by failing to die as foretold. The chief cleric in eastern India had predicted that his soul would leave his body sometime on the morning of November 12th of 2004, and 15,000 people showed up to watch it. The crowd was quiet when he sat down to meditate somewhere about the time of 6 a.m., but then turned violent when he was still alive at noon. A police battalion was charged with, uh, with the request of dispersing the crowd, and the seer was apologetic when asked what happened, and he said, quote, I wanted to leave my mortal body, but I could not. Please forgive me. The crowd that gathered there, 15,000 people, they were waiting for the sign of his death to show that his prophecy would come true. And too many today still wait and hope for a sign to prove that Jesus is real. And then I'll accept him. Then I'll believe. Then I'll trust. But I wonder if we're just like the generation that Jesus informed here, that he said, there is no need for any more signs because the final one has come. I will die and I will rise again. What more proof does one need? He instructs the crowd not only with a final sign, but also with a future judgment. In verses 31 through 32, he speaks here of the queen of the south. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then verse number 32, again, reminds us of Nineveh and the judgment there that will be taking place. But when he speaks of the queen of the south, Jesus is speaking of the queen of Sheba. And uh, he, he speaks of this current generation that they had rejected Jesus himself, who was a prophet that was greater than the wisdom of Solomon and even greater than the prophecy of Jonah as well. Let's start with the queen of Sheba here in verse number 31. It says that the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is referring here to the queen of Sheba, as I mentioned, and she is a witness against this Jewish generation before him. The picture given of the Gentiles judging the Jews is opposite of the expectations that were part of that culture of that day and would be a severe rebuke to the audience to which Jesus spoke to. The queen of Sheba would be a Gentile person. And the fact that she would stand up and condemn this generation in the day of judgment was like, what are you saying, Jesus? We're the chosen ones. We are your people. And who are you to say that somehow she's going to judge us? But we read in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2, and when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came, uh, and she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. 
And during Solomon's reign, the queen of Sheba came from the south to verify the wisdom that he had gotten from God. And she learned that it was greater than even that she expected. The fact that the queen of Sheba responded to the wisdom of God as proclaimed through Solomon, but the Jews would not respond to the truth of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh right before them, was an indictment of itself. He also then speaks about a future judgment with the men of Nineveh in verse number 32. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with, the, with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Again, Jesus reminds the people how the men of Nineveh repented to God's message as preached by a backslidden prophet, as we've already spoken about. And if the men of Nineveh would, would, would heed the words of this man who truly hated them, and the fact that the Jews would not respond to the love that Jesus gave them was an indictment. Jonah 3, verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the, the greatest of them even to the least of them. That was their response. But the response of the people that stood before Jesus was, Prove it. Give us a sign. So we find that Jesus indicts the critical and he informs the crowd. But notice lastly, before we close in verses 33 through 36, that Jesus then illustrates with a candle. In verse number 33, no man when he hath lighted a candle putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on the candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye, therefore when thine eye is single, the whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy whole body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole uh, body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. To illustrate what he's trying to get across and to make his point, Jesus speaks of the light that shines from a candle. Uh, they had seen the light of Christ, but unfortunately, they had refused to accept it or to apply it. Therefore, Jesus emphasizes, uh, he, he emphasizes here the light of truth, forcing the people before him to have to make a decision. They have to choose. Are they going to accept or are they going to reject? We could say pretty much simply this way in verses 33 through 34, that as he uses this illustration of a candle, he's getting across this point. That light exposes truth. Light brings truth. And the first point that he's trying to make is that the light reveals truth to those who see it. Light reveals truth when, when the light is revealed, as we read there in verse number 33. That there's not a man that's going to light a candle and put it in a secret place or under a bushel, but rather he's going to put it on a candlestick so that when all anyone that comes into the house that they might be able to see and see the light. The light, as he speaks here, is a source of guidance. It is a source of truth. And the illustration is simple. No one lights a lamp and hides it someplace where it's not going to illuminate the room. If you're going to light the lamp, you're going to put it out there so that all will be able to see from the light that illuminates from it. And Jesus is associating his teaching that he's giving to light. He's saying, I'm not hiding it from anyone. I'm giving it for all to see. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus used his teaching to call his disciples to the light. But here in the passage before us, he is calling his teaching the light itself. And if one does not receive the guidance that comes from the light of Jesus' truth, it's not because the lamp had been hidden, but it is because there was no response from the individual to the light. 
I'll put it to you like this. Jesus is, is simply just putting it this way. Listen, the light that I'm showing, if you're rejecting it, it's not because I've hidden it from you. Because a man's not going to light a, a candle and, and hide it in a corner somewhere or put it underneath a bushel. No, he's going to put it on a candlestick so that everyone who comes in might be able to see it. Jesus is saying, that's what I've done. I'm proclaiming my truth, my, my salvation to all. And he's saying, if you don't see it, then it's not my fault. It's yours. You pretty much walked into the room that's illuminated with a candle. If that candle wasn't there, it'd be complete darkness, yes. But this, this room is illuminated with a candle, and you've walked in with your hands over your eyes. And you're not willing to do it. It'd change anything. You say, I can't see anything. I wish somebody would shed some light on the subject here. And, some, and they're like, take, the, take your hand off your eyes, and you'd be able to see. No, that's not it. Somebody needs to give some light. Somebody needs to light a candle. That's what Jesus is saying to this crowd here. You're just not willing to accept it. See, when the light is revealed, it exposes truth. And the light of Christ was revealed, and his truth was exposed. And those who were not accepting it, it was because, not because they didn't have a chance, but because they would not accept it. They were blinding themselves, if you may. Matthew 5, verses 15 through 16. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and, get, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Light exposes truth when the light is revealed. Light exposes truth when the eye is focused, he says in verse number 34. The light of the body is the eye, therefore when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy whole body is full of darkness. You could say it this way, the eye is the organ by which the world is perceived. It's what brings in what we see. If the eye is healthy, spiritually speaking, then it takes in the spiritual truth. But if the eye is not healthy, spiritually speaking, the result is going to be darkness. We are each held responsible for our spiritual condition based on how we see the light, we receive the truth, how we receive it. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 18, open thou mine eyes that I may behold, thy, thy, behold wondrous things out of thy law. Acts 26, 18 says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. But as Jesus uses this illustration of a candle, he not only says that light exposes truth, but also light expels darkness. Have you ever noticed that? That when you walk into a room and you flip on the light, the darkness flees. The darkness that is there is no longer there. The only find your place you're going to find darkness is maybe in crevice underneath something where it's hiding or it's blocking the light that would elsewise expel the darkness. And so the second truth that Jesus makes about light is that it will always overcome darkness. The spiritual light he is referring to is able to replace any spiritual darkness that man might encounter. That's why he gives a, a, a word of caution. He says in verse number 35, to be careful of darkness. He says, take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. We can sometimes fool ourselves, can't we? We can, say that we can think that we have it all together. We can think that we know what is true, but we could just be deceiving ourselves. But when the true light comes, it expels the darkness because there is no darkness that cannot be overcome by the light of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus observed that many were moving towards rejection in this crowd. See, there was always a group, there was always part of the group that just simply said, no, he's not the Messiah. No, he's not Jesus. He's doing this underneath the power of Beelzebub. But there was, all, there was also a group that was there that said, hey, um, uh, I don't know if he's, if he's true or not. We just need more signs. They were kind of on the fence. They weren't sure yet, but there, he could perceive that many were moving towards rejection and noted that this action is dangerous and would ultimately lead to devastating consequences. For if one would reject the truth, then they would be blind in darkness and they would ultimately experience the judgment thereof. And Jesus' application calls for a check of the person. And that's why we, show, we know that it's showing that he's talking about a spiritual person. The fact that he says, take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Isaiah 5, 20, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that, that, but, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. So light expels darkness, and so therefore he gives the heed, or the warning, I should say, to be careful of darkness, but then he gives the admonition then to be filled with light in verse number 36. If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, and when the bright shine, as when the bright shining of the candle doth give thee light. This is, a re is referencing the spiritually healthy person one that is walking in, and one that is reflecting the light of Christ. This person is able to receive instruction. They receive instruction from the Word of God as they read it, and as they hear it preached and taught, and is, is one that is guided by the teachings of our Lord. That's why Colossians 3 and verse number 16 says, "...let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom." teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord." The unfortunate thing is that too many in our world are striving to extinguish the light that God has given, whether it be individually, personally within their own lives, or whether they be out on a mission to wipe out the ability of God's truth to be declared. There are people that truly want to extinguish it. Men love darkness rather than light, Scripture says. Why? Because their deeds are evil. See, humanly speaking, in our sinful nature, we'd rather stumble along in darkness than to abound in the light of Jesus Christ. But if we are going to heed the rebuke of Jesus here to this crowd, there's one thing that I think is evident, that we ought not be like the crowd he's rebuking, but instead we ought to seek to accept and bask in the truth, the light that he has given us. Amen. The question is, have you received the light of Christ, the light of Christ for salvation, first and foremost? I pray that's true for you tonight, because Jesus' Jesus's offer of salvation is an offer that is free. It's a free gift. It, 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 is, the, it is the spiritual light that can make the darkness of sin and the darkness and wickedness of sin to dissipate. All one has to do is receive the gift of Jesus Christ in faith, believing that He did come and that He died for them. My friends, when we experience things in our life where we don't know where to turn and we don't know what to do, you know where the best place to turn to? 
best place, best thing for you to do is to turn on your flashlight. For the, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We get ourselves in, in a conundrum often. We get ourselves in all kinds of trouble when we put our flashlight aside and we say, I'll stumble around through this. You ever, you know your house, right? You know your room. Uh, you know where things are at. And so when you wake up in the middle of the night, especially if you're married, you don't want to turn the light on to, to awake your spouse, unless you're just one of those kind of people. There, there's, there's, out, there's those out there. Uh, but most people, they just, they, they want, they, I know where things are at. But have you ever taken something into your room, like in the middle of the day and laid it there and said, I'll come back, I'll put that away later. And then you get busy throughout the day, and then you're just dog-tired before it's bedtime, and you just go in, and you say, man, I'm beat. Oh, that box, I'm supposed to put that away. I'll get it tomorrow. You flip off the light, you go lay down. You go to sleep, I mean, and you start sleeping beautifully. The type of sleep that when you wake up, you're like, where am I at? You know, that's, the, that's good sleep right there, right? But you wake up, and you say, man, i got to use the bathroom. And you don't want to wake your spouse, or you think, I know where I'm going, and so you get out of bed, and you start walking, and you had forgotten because of how hard you've been asleep, forgot about that box, and you're taking off, and boom, right over it. You're like, oh, oh, and falling over. You stub your toe. Stubbing your toe is worse than a broken bone sometimes, isn't it, right? Man, like, it, it, will, it, will, it will end your life if you hit that pinky toe right on the corner of something. You're done for. You're rolling on the ground. It's over. But why did that happen? Because you couldn't see it. You forgot it was, you thought you knew the path, you thought you knew the way was clear, and you thought that you could guide yourself when you truly needed a light to show you that there was an obstacle in your way. We get ourselves in trouble in our life as Christians when we think we know how to navigate the minefield that we know as this life in this sinful world. We, 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 we would do ourselves a whole lot better favor if we would just pick up the flashlight, we'd just pick up the lamp and let it guide us. Let the light of, the, of, of Jesus, if we let the light of Jesus guide our decisions and help make the decisions for us. See, the generation before Jesus, he said, was wicked. He would call them perverse. I mean, this, that generation, while they thought they knew the light of the word. They truly rejected the word, who is the light, Jesus, when he stood before them. And in their own power and in their own might, they tried to do their own thing, and it got, them, they got themselves in a mess. But Jesus has given us his light, and he's given us his word. Let's use it. Let's not find ourselves in the position where if Jesus was here, he'd be rebuking us. Let us find ourselves yielded to his light and to his guidance and see him working in our lives on a daily basis. Could you stand with me, please? There is bowed our eyes closed. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. If I were to die right now, I'd stand before Jesus and heaven is my home. Can I rejoice with you tonight? Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium. Praise the Lord for that. Would there happen to be one here tonight who would just be honest enough to say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I, don't know, I do not know that heaven's my home. Could I just simply pray for you this evening? Anybody like that? Slip your hand up and write back down. Then one last question. Jesus here, 
we found first off, he indicts the critical crowd here. They called him a Satan worshiper, for lack of a better term. And he said, you know what? The fact that you're not accepting the light that I've already given you, it just exposes your wicked heart, how evil you truly are. It exposes the fact that you just won't believe me. It exposes your unbelief. He then informs the crowd that they don't need another sign. Because just as the sign was, of Jonah was given to Nineveh, the, his sign, the fact that he would die and rise again, was proof that he was Savior, that he would save whosoever will. He also warned them that there's going to be a final judgment to come. And if they didn't accept his light, that even the Queen of Sheba, a Gentile uh, ruler, would stand before them and condemn them for the fact that she heeded the wisdom of God through Solomon. And they wouldn't heed the wisdom of God from God himself. He said, hey, you know, the men of Nineveh, they're going to stand and condemn you. Ones that Jonah didn't want to see saved, they got saved. They trusted Jesus because of his message. And here I am, the message itself, the, the salvation that they received. Here I am standing before you, and, they, and you won't receive me. So they're going to condemn you if, you, if if you don't turn and accept me. And therefore, he uses that illustration, as we saw, of a candle to show us that his light, it exposes truth and expels darkness. But I wonder how many of us here tonight would say, unfortunately, I'll, 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 I know I'm saved, I know I'm on my way to heaven, but unfortunately, I have only received the light of Christ for salvation oftentimes, and I'm not walking in his light on a daily basis. I'm not striving to let his spirit guide me. I'm not striving to let his word guide me. I'm making my own decisions off my own desires, off my own wants. And it's really, really, I know it's going to cause a mess. Because the truth is there. We hold it right in our hands in the word of God. So therefore, if we don't receive it, it's not anybody's fault but our own. How many of you say, Pastor, pray with me. As I go throughout this life in this sin-cursed world, that I would seek to be guided by the light of Christ as opposed to striving to do my own ways and figure it out on my own, that I let the Holy Spirit guide me. Would you, Pastor, just pray with me, please? Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. If that's true in your heart, listen, if it's true in your heart, if you're able, if you want to come to the altar, I invite you to do so, maybe right there in your seat. But I'm telling you this, if it's true in your heart and you truly do want the Lord to guide you, his word, his spirit to guide you, then will you just commit that to him tonight? Just call out to him, ask him for his help, help ask him for his guidance, but say, Lord, I'm making that commitment tonight to, to seek your will and to seek your ways above all else. Because here's what will happen. We'll, have the, we'll hear the Lord speak to our hearts through His Word being declared or read, read, reading of His Word tonight, and we'll walk right out those doors with nothing changed. We'll be right back in the same predicament. So if the Lord spoke into your heart, let's, let's respond to Him accordingly. Our Father, we thank You for this night. Thank You for Your Word and all that You do for us. We ask now that You bless this invitation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As